0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: These stories contain distressing themes and brief descriptions of violence. This content is not suitable for children. and Listener discretion is advised. It was Saturday evening. June 16th, 1990, when the phone rang out in Trevelyne Evans' small terrace on Church Street in Vanglothlin, North Wales. It was a husband Richard calling from their holiday cottage 50 miles north in Ritalin. They had been there together earlier in the week as Richard was doing some renovation work, but Trevelyne had returned home on the Wednesday as she owned the small antiques and bric-a-brac store Attic Antiques. When Treveline didn't answer the phone, Richard waited a short while before calling again, and later, after trying several more times, he became worried, phoning neighbours and friends. A few people had seen 52-year-old Treveline that day, but not since. My name's Benjamin Fitton from They Walk Among Us. Welcome back to Murder Town, the podcast. Following each episode of Crime and Investigation's True Crime TV series, we'll explore another case right here. Without being able to locate Trevely, Richard rang a friend back saying he was worried she may have gotten hurt or worse at a terrible accident so the neighbour agreed to go down to Attic Antiques to see if she was there, after all, as they lived in the middle of town, it was only five minutes up the road. When the friend arrived at Treveline's shop on Church Street, he found her dark blue Ford Escort parked up the street in its usual spot, if she drove to work. The door of the shop was locked, but he noticed boxes of bric-a-brac out the front, as would have typically been out there if the shop were open. He couldn't see anything unusual inside, but stuck on the inside of the door was a note that read, Back in two minutes. When Richard heard that the shop looked as though it hadn't been closed up properly, he phoned the police, saying that he believed something was wrong. The following morning around 7am, Treveline's brother Len Davis received a call from their other brother Philip, to say that Treveline was missing. Philip lived abroad and was over visiting. Philip said that he had met up with Richard the night before around 10 30 p.m. That day the brothers were able to get into the shop where they found her makeup compact open and on the counter as if she had just used it. Next to this, they found her handbag with her purse and cards inside. Nothing else seemed unusual as though she had only intended to be gone momentarily. But with her bag still there, the items out the front and the note on the door, something did not seem right. The only family Treveline had were her brothers and sister, her husband, their son also named Richard in his late 20s, and his two grandchildren. Treveline's father, who was elderly, took the news of her disappearance particularly hard. They searched all over town that day, and when they reached the 24-hour point after first reporting her as possibly missing to the police, they were all convinced that something terrible had happened. The small riverside town of Vanglothlan in Denbighshire, North Wales, clings to the River Dee 10 miles southwest of Wrexham. The Dee is rocky and fast-flowing through Thlanglothlan as it comes down from the mountains of Snowdonia, gushing beneath the town's 16th-century Grade 1-listed bridge. The Thlanglothlan Canal, which now had this 11-mile stretch declared a World Heritage Site by UNESCO, was originally used for transporting limestone for the local coal and iron industries dating back 200 years. But after the Second World War, It all but closed entirely until boats began using it for cruising, which led to a long campaign for it to be officially reopened for tourism. By the 1980s, it had become a highly popular route for holidaymakers when travelling from further along the canal system, or just visiting Van Gloufelen, which was the end point of the canal before Horseshoe Falls. Horse-driven canal cruisers pulled a large weekend crowd in the busy little town. Vanglothland was already a well-known place to stop for an afternoon or weekend, walking the picturesque streets dotted with bric-a-brac shops and tea rooms. The local caravan park and campsites swell in the warmer months, and that weekend in June 1990 was a typically bustling one, with the local music festival Estéphalot only a few weeks away and the summer holidays in full swing. In 1990... Vanglothland was the sort of town where a bike theft or property damage was more likely than a kidnapping or murder. The sort of town where locals looked out for each other and noticed when things were askew. When someone seemed out of place or something was off, someone, often a shopkeeper, would be the first person to pick it up. Drevelin's shop, which he had purchased the year before, was one of many local independent stores. And in a town where everyone knew each other, the shopkeepers were particularly well known. The store window was full of crochet, lace tablecloths and various kitchen antiques. There was a handwritten sign inside the store saying, I'll buy anything. And it was the sort of store that tourists loved to sift through. And locals were always in there for a chat with Trevor When police checked inside, they noticed a few things. Along with Treveline's makeup compact and handbag left in full view, A jacket was still there. There was some fruit and a small posy of flowers, and in the rubbish bin, a banana peel. Treveline and Richard's home was on Market Street, an easy five or so minutes walk from the shop, but Treveline would sometimes drive if she was running late or had other plans. Nothing was missing, and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. She had left everything she'd cherished or used regularly, her car keys were in the shop, and a car left nearby. But the police agreed that something was amiss, and they launched a missing person search. First the police visited all the local businesses and spoke with friends and family in order to piece together Trevelyne's movements that day, and the days leading up. Between 9.30 and 10am that Saturday morning, she stopped in at a local shop on her way to work to collect a pint of milk. The owner watched Treveline pull a wad of notes out of her purse to find the exact change. She told police she was thinking to herself, we should hide that money, but she felt it was a little intrusive. They had an exchange about needing a coffee and Treveline walked out. Shortly after opening Attic Antiques, a friend Christine popped in smelling the coffee that Trevelyne had just made. It was Christine who bought the small posy of flowers that the police had found. They spoke about a party they were attending, which Trevelyne was looking forward to. According to reports, up to 25 friends dropped in to see Trevelyne that morning at the shop. Everyone described her as cheerful She didn't appear to have anything on her mind that was troubling her. Some friends said she spoke of possibly going out that night. There was one other unconfirmed sighting of her on the morning she disappeared, but this is no longer in the official account of her day. That was a sighting of her having a heated discussion with a man at the back of her shop. The afternoon was sunny when a local man who knew Treveline drove by her as she walked away from her shop towards the centre of town. It was approximately 12.40pm and this is the time that police believe she left the note on her door. At 1pm she bought an apple and a banana on the high street and after this she was seen crossing Castle Street. The centre of town was bustling at the time. This route does make sense if Treveline was walking home for some reason, as it's the direct route she would take, crossing over Castle to get to Church Street. Almost an hour and a half later, someone else believed they saw her walking back towards town from her home on Market Street. There is a chance that Treveline did go home that lunchtime, and if she bought the apple and banana, she must have had some money on her. She would have also had her shop keys, may have had her house keys. Police did find her keys in her bag, and there were never any reports of any other missing keys. She may very well have returned to the shop, putting her keys back in her bag. We do know that a banana peel was found in the shop's bin, and other fruit was found, seemingly to take home. It is impossible, however, to say if it was the same banana that she had just purchased, or one she had taken in with her earlier. Trevelyne returning to the shop that afternoon cannot be ruled out. She may have without anyone seeing her and just not remove the back in two minutes sign. What is known, however, is that the person who saw her at 2.30pm walking back down the street she lived on was the last confirmed sighting anyone had of Trevelyne Evans. That afternoon, with the little note still stuck on the locked door, people began posting coins through the shop's letterbox for items they wished to purchase from the boxes outside. And by 4pm, when the shop usually shut, the boxes were still outside. As missing persons posters were pinned up around Langlothlin, the whole town was talking about the well-known 52-year-old. Treveline had lived in the area her entire life, and she and her husband Richard had a large circle of friends. Her son had two boys who she doted on, and the family was tight. With the police baffled, it was natural they would question the family about Trevely, whether she may have decided to go somewhere, possibly run off. No one could think of any reason, and if by some chance she had, they all questioned why she wouldn't take her back, or even a change of clothes. The police had to ask where each family member was that day to rule them out of the investigation. Richard was questioned at length, but was able to have people to vouch for him being 50 miles away at the cottage. He had been there for the entire week. Treveline had been up at Ritalin with him for three days earlier in the week, but he said he hadn't seen her since she left on Wednesday. Treveline and her sibling's mother died when she was 11 years old. Her brother Len has always said that understanding the loss of her own mother from such a young age, he couldn't believe for one moment that she would up and leave or disappear herself, knowing the loss her loved ones would feel. She wouldn't want to put them through the agony of not knowing why she had left or what happened to her. Len did think there might have been a chance she went with someone that day, but that she would have never intended to stay away and perhaps was misled. And if she did go with someone... He believed she must have trusted them unless she was taken against her will, saying, quote, She wasn't naive in any way. She was pretty streetwise. Had she gone off somewhere, she must have gone with someone she knew, and whatever happened to her, happened to her then. She left one or two pieces of jewelry she used to favor, which I thought she would have taken if she was intending to leave Lange the police began to receive calls from people who believed they had seen her after 2.30pm that day. The following three sightings have never been able to be proven, but were all taken seriously enough to be investigated in what was the largest missing person search in Welsh history. At 2.35pm, exactly five minutes after Trevelyne was seen in Market Street walking back into town, there was a sighting of someone who fit her description. The woman was walking out of town along the A5 towards Corwin beside the Riverside Park. This location is at the opposite end of the town to her house. She could not have walked there in five minutes, but could have possibly done it in ten, if the timings are a little off. If this was her, she had the opportunity to walk past her car on the way, but she didn't. Then, over an hour later at 3.45pm, another woman who fit Trevelyne's description was seen walking into Park Avenue from the direction of the river on a public footpath. This spot was only a few minutes' walk further out of town from the previous possible sighting. Had Trevelyne been down at the D Riverside meeting someone, or was this someone else? Another unconfirmed sighting was from a person who believed they saw Treveline in a car driving out of town, looking upset. A woman also phoned the police to say that she saw a man in a Rainmax standing by a blue car out of the front of the antique shop that evening, looking suspicious. She couldn't remember for sure, and this was never verified, but she thought the shop door might have been open. According to updated reports, This sighting was later discovered to be not related. Police received a great deal of information about the two days before Treveline's disappearance, after returning from Ritalin. With Treveline being so friendly and well-known, people noticed her. Two days before her disappearance, she was seen talking to two men outside her shop in the morning as she was getting goods from the boot of her car. It didn't seem unusual as she often had people stop by to sell her antiques and she would often bring things in from her car. The men did not appear to be there together. One had dark hair, possibly in his thirties, and the other an older man with fair greying hair swept to the side, smartly dressed, wearing a blue knitted jumper. The next morning, the day before her disappearance, the man with the grey hair was seen with her again, Two shopkeepers saw them walking down the road and this time he was in a dark suit or blazer carrying a briefcase. They both described him as distinguished and businesslike. They were walking along chatting and Treveline waved hello to the woman in the butcher's shop. Later that Friday evening, a local couple pulled up to the lights at the top of Castle Street near to where Treveline was seen buying the fruit on the day she went missing. They tried to catch her eye to say hello, but Treveline didn't see them. Standing in a cafe doorway with some paperwork in her hand, she was looking down the street as if she was waiting for someone. The woman looked to see if she could see a person coming up to meet her, but didn't see anyone. Two Scottish tourists believe they saw Trevelyne that night at Gale's Wine Bar, a popular place on Bridge Street in town just across from the river. There were several unconfirmed sightings of the grey-haired man there also, but no locals who knew Trevelyne recalled seeing any of them. Trevelyne's disappearance officially became a missing persons inquiry. Posters were put up all around Van and in neighbouring villages with photographs and details of the last sightings. It was the beginning of what would become North Wales' most extensive missing persons investigation. A vast search began with over 100 officers. Every house in Van and the outer villages were doorknocked. 1,500 names were taken down, including tourists who were in the area, and 330 statements taken. 700 cars were investigated and subsequently eliminated from the inquiry. The bank accounts were checked and had never been touched. Police carried out searches of the River Dee and the canal running through Denglothlin. Local mine shafts and caves were searched, but it was no use. No sign of Treveline was ever found. An artist's impression of the older man Trevelyne was seen with was circulated but came to nothing. Her husband Richard put up a £5,000 reward. Two months went by and nothing. It was then that Trevelyne's disappearance was featured for the first time on BBC's Crime Watch with a full reconstruction. The show made a call out for anyone to come forward especially if they had any information regarding the older man Treveline had been seen with in town. The family were coming to terms with the possibility they may never get any answers. In 1992, around the two-year anniversary, Detective Chief Inspector Colin Edwards, who was heading the continuing investigation, spoke out about the case that still baffled the small community, saying, quote, how a happily married woman could vanish without a trace on a sunny Saturday morning in a busy town centre is totally baffling. It is, without a doubt, the strangest inquiry I have ever been involved with. The family said they were convinced she had been abducted. No one believed for a minute she would just leave and never contact her family again. Welsh Psychic Helen Parry-Jones contacted police offering to help. According to a press interview, she conducted a seance both with police as well as Treveline's family and friends. The seance was recorded in case something could be used. According to the woman, quote, From the word go, I said to them, you will never ever find this body as there isn't a body to be found. And to this day, they have never found it. In 1993, another woman wrote to police about Treveline. She had been on a canal bank near Van Gloufelen where she had the most overwhelming feeling that Treveline was nearby, that her body was nearby. Police used sniffer dogs to scour the whole area, but came up with nothing. Another psychic report ended in a search being carried out at World's End. Again. No evidence leading to Trevelyne was ever found. Police continued to call in with random sightings believed to be Trevelyne. One in a remote town in Australia, a sighting in London, and a report from France that brought in Interpol. But every sighting would turn out to be a dead end, and in 1997, after seven years, Trevelyne was officially declared dead. Treveline's son Richard had become a local police sergeant. In 1999, at the age of 37, he died suddenly of a heart attack, never having found out what happened to his mother. In the time since she had disappeared, he and his wife had a third child. Knowing what a doting grandmother she was, everyone knew deep down that Treveline would never cut herself off from her grandchildren or not be around for the new birth. In January 2001, 11 years after Treveline became a missing person, her case was reopened and was officially upgraded to a top murder investigation. The main focus of the new inquiry, named Operation Bran, was on her movements in the three days before she died, so from the time she returned from the holiday cottage in Ritalin until her disappearance. An incident room was set up manned by 10 officers who went over every detail of the original investigation. They hope, with new forensic techniques and fingerprinting technology, fresh leads may be able to be unearthed. In April, they announced that they were withdrawing the artist's impression of the man seen with Trevelin, stating it was no longer accurate. Trevelin's brother Len spoke about the new inquiry. When questioned over whether Treveline may have disappeared herself, he strongly believed there was no way. After all, her only son had just died. He refused to believe that she wouldn't contact anyone in the wake of that. Quote, If she had heard, I believe she would have gotten in touch. You can get in touch by phone today, even if you don't want anyone to know where you are. I believe she would have contacted someone in the family, if she was still alive she would realize what she was putting us all through it was announced to the press by chief superintendent alan jones that quote we see this as a potential crime but we still do not have a body our task is to look at the circumstances surrounding the disappearance of mrs evans and to extend the line of inquiries we are looking at the information collated during the original investigation and how developments in police methods and new scientific techniques can assist us in gaining further information on the disappearance of Mrs Evans. A man from Van is helping us with our inquiries. We are still interviewing him at Wrexham Police Station. The man was Treveline's 72-year-old husband, Richard. He had been arrested. Richard had provided an alibi which reports state included a workman at his house that day and other people who had seen him down Rithland High Street. He explained he had been without a car as Trevelyne had taken theirs back to Langlothlin, so how was he expected to have got back home? He was soon released without charge, and in August that year, after reinvestigations that lasted six months, the case was wound down again. Chief Superintendent Jones stated that he had no doubt Trevelyne Evans was the victim of a crime, saying, quote, The second police inquiry was very much a murder inquiry, and I personally think she was murdered. When the DI in this case came and told me they were ending the inquiry, I felt disappointed, more disappointed than the last time. And Superintendent Steve Gould of North Wales Police stated, quote, Investigations such as these are never closed unless we establish what exactly has occurred and obtain sufficient evidence against individuals to mount a prosecution. We would ask anyone with information which may assist the investigation to contact North Wales Police.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey
1: than with plush care. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to
0: bombuscom slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: In 2005, Treveline's brother revealed after 15 years, the belief was that she had been murdered, and it had probably occurred within 24 hours of her abduction. Len Davis made a TV appeal for any witnesses or anyone who could help police. He also revealed that he had been shocked to discover that Treveline had possibly had a, quote, "...gentleman friend that was not her husband." The family couldn't reconcile this, but it certainly may play a part in the mystery. Len stated in part, quote, "...I believe there are people, for whatever reason, who have not come forward. I appeal to those people now if they feel they can't approach the police." I'd be more than grateful to have a chat with them myself. The worst part of it is the fact that we don't know where she is. I'd hate to think she's possibly just lying in a wood undercover somewhere and untraced. I'd really like to find her and give her a Christian burial. If it was murder, it's secondary to finding out what happened. I just want to find her and bring her home. The police said that the investigation into the man in the artist's sketch, the man apparently seen at the wine bar with Trevely, was closed. They were no longer investigating that lead. Following the death of Trevely's husband Richard in 2009, the 20th anniversary saw another reopening of the case. Police say it has never been closed, only wound down and reinstigated. This time, Len said, quote, I am the only one left alive from her side of the family and I would love to find out what happened to her. Police pursued a lead in 2011 when they suspected the serial killer Robin Ligas might have been involved. In 1994, four years after Trevelyne disappeared, Ligas, who was from Shropshire, bordering Wales, killed a male antique dealer only 30 miles from Manglothlin plus two other men in Shropshire. But in 2012, police ruled out any connection to Trevely. In May 2019, two brothers came forward to the press after lodging a formal complaint against the North Wales Police Force handling of information regarding Treveline's disappearance. They believed the police had sat on information they had passed over, the brothers were former Chief Auditor for Flintshire Council Andy Sutton from Wrexham and his brother Lee from Kimmel Bay. They had been made aware of information relating to Trevelyne in February, after which they handed it over to police. This new information, which they described as high quality, pointed to Trevelyne's remains being buried in the Ritherland area, in particular under the floorboards of the local golf club's bar. Ritalin is the location where Treveline and her husband had their holiday home, and where her husband was staying during the time Treveline disappeared. While waiting for police to respond, the Sutton brothers got permission from the golf course to take an inspection camera and have a look under the floor. They passed their findings over to police in March. Based on their report, police are said to have carried out their own search later that month, including some sort of dig on the golf course grounds. Witnesses saw five police cars arrive at the golf course late one morning, staying there overnight. However, a police spokesperson announced that the search was unsuccessful and that no sign of any human remains had been located. In response to this, the Sutton brothers lodged a formal complaint against police. As reported by the North Wales Daily Post, Tim Evans the Temporary Detective Chief Inspector of North Wales Police's Professional Standards Department stated, In response to the statement released by Mr Andy Sutton and Mr Lee Sutton, I can confirm that we have received complaints which have been formally recorded. I am foremost mindful that such serious allegations have the potential to cause anxiety to Mrs Evans' family and our officers will continue to support them as necessary. To allay any wider public concern, the identified area was examined by crime scene investigators, but no evidence was identified to corroborate the allegations received. We will, however, refer the matter to the Independent Office for Police Conduct to ensure independent oversight and direction. The complaint was handed on to the watchdog, the Office for Police Conduct, and there it was decided after careful assessment that the case was suitable for a local investigation by the police force, but they didn't believe the matter would necessarily go on to an independent investigation. For Trevelyne's brother Len Davis, now in his late 70s and one of Trevelyne's only remaining relatives, the case will never close. He is tight-lipped about theories. He just wants answers. Quote, If she had simply gone missing, she would have made contact. If she had suffered an accident, a body would have been found. It's very frustrating for us and devastating for the family, and we would appeal for anyone with information to speak to us. If anyone has any information on the disappearance of Trevelyne Evans, who disappeared from Langloughlin, North Wales, on the 16th of June, 1990, you are urged to contact North Wales Police on 01978 290 2 or Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111.
0: I'm Catherine Kelly, host of Crime and Investigations' true crime TV series, Murder Town. Join me next Monday at 9pm as I visit Middlesbrough a town that was rocked by the murder of David Burkett, killed by a psychopath wanting to commit the perfect crime. For more information on the series, head to crimeandinvestigation.co.uk and let us know your thoughts by searching for crime and investigation on social media or using hashtag MurderTown.
1: The MurderTown podcast is hosted by Benjamin Fitter. Researched and written by Anna Priestland, and edited and produced by Chloe Frost.
0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip?